0: Listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the Church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit UnitarianSA.org.au.
1: my late colleague Alec Finbow wrote it is with a sense of reverence that we meet together here to seek meaning for our lives in the things of the Spirit we seek for peace of mind and strength of heart we seek for understanding and the knowledge that we are able to carry through the demands which life places upon us we meet in remembrance of former days our achievements and failures hopes that have been, and aspirations for the days to come. We meet in good fellowship and are reminded of the needs of others, their ways which may not be our ways, and the need for tolerance and tact and awareness in our relationships. For a little while here together we seek for new insight that we may have a better apprehension of life's ends and the means of their accomplishment. It is with this sensibility that we reach out from ourselves that we may grow in spirit. Good morning and welcome to this service of worship. Our first hymn is number 163, Those Who Seek Wisdom Seek Truth and Courage, words by my colleague and friend Richard Bokey, number 163. Andrew will play the first verse through and then we'll sing. chalice flame this morning with words by Peter Ferguson of the Perth Unitarian Fellowship. We light this candle for our joys and concerns, our disappointments and our hopes, for family, friends and foes, for Mother Earth and all who dwell in her. And a quick explanation for visitors. It's the custom in most Unitarian congregations to light candles of joys and concerns, to share very, brief, very briefly uh, the reason if you wish to, or you can light a candle in silence. But please do not give a 10-minute dissertation. And now it's over to Chris Hanna for the story.
0: Thank you very much. Well, I don't have any children that are too young, but I'll keep it simple anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, it's all I can cope with. But it is a story of, uh, since we're uh, around Martin Luther King Day, story of the sanitation workers, as they were called, the 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 guys that picked up the rubbish in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968. So we all hear the expression dirty jobs sometimes, but... This was certainly up with the dirtiest of them. The way it was done in those days, there was no recycling as we know it, but families kept a tub out in the backyard. might be on the back veranda or out near the back gate. Something like a washing basket, but bigger and heavier, made of metal. So the sanitation workers would come around in a truck, come into the backyard, and they'd have to lift this thing full of rubbish. And uh, it was so heavy that a lot of the time they could only, this is one person by the way, so they could only lift it, put it up on their heads to carry it out because it would just about break your back to carry it in front of your hips. So uh, sometimes they'd try on the shoulder or whatever. And some of the tubs were leaky and old and so whatever was in there, the rotten vegetables, the dirty tissues, whatever it was, a bucket of paint would dribble down sometimes through the tub onto the, the sanitation worker. So it, it was a pretty dirty job. But above that, it was one of the worst paid jobs in the city. And there was a lot of grumbling about it, but we're talking about a town where the people who ran the town were... European heritage, and most of the rubbish collection guys were African American heritage. So you can imagine the discrepancy. Uh, they weren't paid much at all, and many of them had to go for what they called food stamps, which is you know, their kind of the welfare of the time, just to help feed their families for the week. So it got to the point, though, where because the, the trucks were so dilapidated, there uh, was little investment from the Memphis City Council, that there were lots of problems with them. And one day, just because there was heavy rain when two of the rubbish truck guys were trying to do something in the back of the truck, the compactor worked and crushed them. So uh, this incited the 700 or so workers and they decided to go on strike. And they marched in the streets. They were called names by the white rubbish collection guys, they were all guys in those days, by members of the public, and so on. So when they decided to have another march, and you might have seen photographs of this, but many of them had a sign they put around their necks, which said, I am a man, I am a man, meaning I'm human, I'm not an animal, and it fell on deaf ears. The mayor of the town in their system pretty well controlled the direction of police, instructed police to take a very firm stance against these marches, but they grew in number. Martin Luther King visited Memphis. He wanted to help these people. One of the points he made publicly was that the rubbish collection workers were of equal value to doctors, GPs as we call them, because they're both helping prevent disease in the community. By picking up the rubbish. And yet they were so undervalued. Martin Luther King left. The marches continued. The mayor remained implacable. Uh, even when other councillors wanted to give the pay rise, the mayor said, no, it's my call, I'm not going to do it. Until it got to the point Martin Luther King came back for another march and he was killed, uh, as, as we know. What followed then was the biggest march of all, Some 40,000 people, including Martin Luther King's widow, marched. And with the support of the federal government, so many people now throughout Memphis, the mayor finally relented and gave the workers a pay rise. So it's a grim story, but that's the story for today. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Chris. Two readings, first from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the humble, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and release to those in prison, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor and a day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to give them garlands instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourners' tears, a garment of splendor For the heavy heart. They shall be called trees of righteousness planted by the Lord for his glory. Ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and sites long desolate restored. They shall repair the ruined cities and restore what has long lain desolate. Foreigners shall serve as shepherds of your flocks, and aliens shall till your land and tend your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord and be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of other nations and be furnished with their riches. And so, because shame in double measure and jeers and insults have been my people's lot, they shall receive in their own land a double measure of wealth, and everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice and hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will grant them a sure reward and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their posterity will be renowned among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge in them a race whom the Lord has blessed. Let me rejoice in the Lord with all my heart. Let me exult in my God. For he has robed me in salvation as a garment, and clothed me in integrity as a cloak. Like a bridegroom with his priestly garland, or a bride decked in her jewels. For as the earth puts forth her blossom, or bushes in the garden burst into flower, so shall the Lord God make righteousness and praise blossom before all the nations. And then a piece from the writings of Martin Luther King, Jr. In this day of humankind's highest technical achievement, in this day of dazzling discovery, of novel opportunities, loftier dignities and fuller freedoms for all, There is no excuse for the kind of blind craving for power and resources that provoked the wars of previous generations. There is no need to fight for food and land. Science has provided us with adequate means of survival and transportation which make it possible to enjoy the fullness of this great earth. The question now is, do we have the morality and courage required to live together as brothers and sisters and not be afraid. One of the most persistent ambiguities we face is that everybody talks about peace as a goal, but among the wielders of power, peace is practically nobody's business. Many people cry, peace, peace, but they refuse to do the things that make for peace. The large power blocks talk passionately of pursuing peace while expanding defense budgets that already bulge enlarging already awesome armies, and devising ever more devastating weapons. Before it is too late, we must narrow the gaping chasm between our proclamations of peace and our lowly deeds which precipitate and perpetuate war. We are called upon to look up from the quagmire of military programs and defense commitments and read the warnings on history's signposts. One day we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means. How much longer must we play at deadly war games before we heed the plaintive pleas of the unnumbered dead and maimed of past wars? Now music for meditation. brother David. The first is a piece called prayer in the shadow of war. So led by David's words we join in a time of prayer, reflection, meditation, contemplation, knowing that whatever word we may use to name it this house remains at one. Eternal spirit of peace and human fellowship we gather here with the awareness that we are surrounded by threats to our security and peace of mind. And we are apprehensive, we are fearful, and perhaps we are angry that once again the peace for which we had hoped has been cruelly and abruptly snatched away. As we pause in this moment of prayer and contemplation, it might be that we are divided in our political opinions about what has been done and what now needs to be done. But even if we are so divided, we may be united in this. May we be united in our condemnation of violence and aggression. And if we condemn violence and aggression, which as religious people seeking peace, surely we must, then in addition to condemning violence and aggression in others, let us look into our own hearts and be aware of the violence and aggression which lie therein. At this time of prayer, may we have the courage to be honest with ourselves and to acknowledge that we too share in the sins of humanity. It is not given to us to be judge of others without also being judge of ourselves. And may it be part of our prayer that we do not surrender ourselves to hatred, that we do not allow ourselves to be told whom we might love and whom we must hate. Let us be reminded that all people have dreams for their children all of whom breathe of the air and take of the goodness of this fair earth. There might be those we have reason to fear, but there are none whom we may hate with justice. Our prayers and our thoughts are especially with those in the most direct danger. We think of those in uniform who might be called upon to do terrible deeds and to face awful risks. We think of their families who must wait anxiously and pray for the safe return of those they love. We think of those who are charged with the making of momentous decisions in whose wisdom and whose judgment be our destinies. They might or might not be the leaders of our choosing and preference, but may we be understanding of the burdens which weigh upon them, and may our prayers be with them. And our prayers are with all those who face dangers and uncertainties far, far graver than ours. May they know that we share a bond with them which transcends differences of culture and creed, and which the horrors of war can never sever. We are, all of us, afraid. We have reason to be. Above all, may our prayer be that our fear does not drive the goodness from our hearts, That courage and compassion be our constant companions and that the peace of God be in our world because it is in us. We join now in the fellowship of silence. May the spirit of truth be with us that we may speak truly. May the spirit of justice be with us that we may act justly. May the spirit of wisdom be with us that we may choose wisely. May the spirit of love be with us that we may love generously. So may it be with us all. Amen. And our second hymn is number 17. We sing now together our song of thanksgiving. Number 17. Have a dream, a man once said, where all is perfect peace, where men and women, black and white, stand hand in hand and all unite in freedom and in love. David O. Rankin served as minister of the First Unitarian Church of San Francisco, California. In a meditation incarnation, he wrote, I met him in 1962 in Mount Vernon, Iowa. He was not a good planner, two hours late for the appointment and unaware of the location. He was not a commanding presence, short in stature and ungainly in movement. He was not a handsome figure, slightly overweight and clothes too small for the body. He was not a congenial person, impatient in conversation and never fully present. He was not a great speaker words lost in the nose and ill-timed gestures. He was not a creative individual, ideas borrowed from others and frequent repetition. He was not a happy character, wide mournful eyes and lips not made for smiling. But if God appeared anywhere in the 20th century, it was in the form of Martin Luther King Jr. I would be willing to have a small bet I would be willing to bet that at least half of you, on learning the title of today's sermon, thought, I know that phrase, I know what his sermon is going to be about, or perhaps more accurately, I know whom his sermon is going to be about. I have a dream. He may not have created that phrase, he may have borrowed it from someone else, But it's come to be identified with Martin Luther King, Jr., just as other phrases have come to be identified with particular individuals. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. Abraham Lincoln. We shall never surrender. Winston Churchill. Here I stand, I can do no other. Martin Luther. It was the phrase, the slogan, the catchword which helped to make the name and work of Martin Luther King Jr. famous more than half a century ago as he and others worked to break down the barriers of racism, bigotry, hatred, persecution. They included Rosa Parks whose refusal to give up her bus seat to a white man was the defining starting point of the civil rights movement and who died just recently honoured by people around the world. But in this world of bitter strife, the dream can often fade. Reality seems dark as night. We catch but glimpses of the light Christ sheds on humankind. In January 1986, I was in America doing a six and a half week speaking tour of Unitarian Universalist churches, training centers and other places of interest. One memorable occasion was a commemorative service led by a group of young black seminary students. I happened to be present at one of the events which led to the establishment of the third Sunday of January as Martin Luther King Jr. Day, now observed by many churches across North America and elsewhere. And on this third Sunday of January, on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, It seems appropriate to share Cliff Reed's meditation, Anniversary. Cliff wrote, Spirit of truth, who guided the faithful generations of the past, be with us as we try to follow them. Through doubts, perplexities, and shifting understandings, remind us of what is essential. Make our faith a living, dynamic thing that truly honors you. Make it a vehicle of your love. Help us to create a community that reconciles those whom sin has sundered. A community that is loving, yet open to the whole world. When we would hedge it about with our own prejudices, rebuke us. May our gratitude for those who went before find expression in a deeper commitment to your good news, which they proclaimed. May we proclaim it too, and may we live it, your prophets and your healers to this lost and broken world. Fierce persecution, war and hate are raging everywhere. Through struggle and through sacrifice, God's people pay the costly price of standing for the right. The price of standing for the right has indeed been costly. The long history of slavery and oppression in America The long and difficult struggle for equality, justice and civil rights have been a story of cruelty, of bloodshed, of mob hysteria, of lynch law, of violence and death. Back in the 1980s at the Sydney Unitarian Church in my sermon one Sunday I referred to James Reeb. It happened that in the congregation that day there was a visitor, an American Unitarian Universalist minister, on holiday in Australia. He had known James Reeb, and after the service, he told me more about him. So, who was James Reeb? Anybody? (laughs) He was an American Unitarian Universalist minister who was active in the civil rights movement. With other UUs, ministers and lay members, he went to Selma, Alabama, to take part in the great civil rights march and demonstration. Attacked by a group of white youths, he was beaten with a baseball bat. His skull was crushed, and he died a few days later without regaining consciousness. James Reeb holds an honoured place in the Gallery of Unitarian Universalist Martyrs and Leaders, And, of course, he was not the only person to die in the struggle. Others like him, both black and white, gave their lives as they had given their energy and commitment. And slowly, gradually, painfully, progress was made. Progress was made not by wishing for it, but by working for it. Change came about because of people's efforts. So dream your dreams and sing your songs but never be content for thoughts and words don't ease the pain unless there's action all is vain. Faith proves itself in deeds. One of our readings came from the book of Isaiah. About three decades ago the world was shocked by the riots which convulsed Los Angeles in the wake of the Rodney King case. In 1992 Cliff Reed who was minister to three congregations in Suffolk, UK, Ipswich, Framlingham, and Bedfield, Cliff undertook an exchange ministry at the Unitarian Church of Bloomington, Illinois. And after the Los Angeles riots, Cliff wrote a meditation on Isaiah 61, verse 4, entitled, Among the Ruins. Ruins shall be rebuilt. The smoking ruins that once were homes and workplace ignited by the raging flames of pain and bitterness and sites long desolate restored, the empty sites that once saw trade and toil, commerce and play, laid waste by poverty and decisions far away. They shall repair the ruined cities, the cities ruined by neglect and hopelessness, left behind by migrant prosperity, and restore what has long lain desolate, The desolation of injustice and despair that withers humanity in the bud. Who shall restore? Who shall rebuild? People united and envisioned. People empowered and awakened. People moved by love and a thirst for justice. May we be with them. May we be among them. Ruins shall be rebuilt and sites long desolate restored. They shall repair the ruined cities and restore what has long lain desolate. Who shall restore? Who shall rebuild? People united and envisioned, people empowered and awakened, people moved by love and a thirst for justice. May we be with them, may we be among them. I have a dream, a man once said. Do we share that dream? Are we envisioned? Are we empowered and awakened or listless and apathetic? Are we moved by love or do we simply think it's a nice sentimental idea? Are we a thirst for justice or complacent in our comfortable cocoon? Are we among the men and women, black and white and yellow and brown and red, who in pursuit of that dream are prepared to stand hand in hand and to unite in freedom and in love. We honour Martin Luther King Jr. today, but the struggle did not end with what he and his contemporaries achieved. There is still much to be done, and we are among those who are challenged to do it. We have inherited the faith and the traditions of those who have lived before us. We have inherited their struggle and their suffering, as well as all that these have won. We have inherited the fruits of their courage and their generous sacrifice, and the afterglow of their vision. We inherit as a unity the mingling of their diversity. We inherit the spirit that brings all things to be, molding purpose out of chaos through the power of creative love. Our inheritance is not ours to keep. As we give thanks for all that we have received, we know that we must pass it on, refined and enlarged and improved. May our bequest be all that we have found of joy and compassion, of justice and right, of truth and love, of equality and freedom. May the children of tomorrow... Our children and their children be blessed and not cursed by what we bequeath to them. Lord, grant us vision, make us strong and help us do your will. Nor let us rest until we see your love throughout humanity uniting us in peace. If God appeared anywhere in the 20th century, it was in the form of Martin Luther King Jr. We honour his memory today. We honour the dream which he articulated and to which he gave his energy and his life. We honour the vision which inspired him and his dedication to that vision. And we honour also all those people, named and unnamed, who shared the dream and the vision and who shared the struggle, the deeds, the sacrifice, the costly price of standing for the right. I finish with more words by Cliff Reed, A Prayer, Countless Incarnations. O God of countless incarnations, whose face is the face of all who love and all who suffer. We celebrate your presence among us and within us. Help us to recognize you in all who share this world with us. Help us to put aside the prejudices that blind us to your spirit in them. Help us to give respect even love, to those we find it hard to tolerate. We would make your kingdom real within us, real in our community of faith, real in our fractured, bleeding world. We would embrace the infinite variety of humankind and recognize its oneness. We would rejoice that we are all unique, that we all walk separate paths and yet are one in your glorious creation. O God of countless incarnations, bring us to the consciousness of our unity in you. So may it be. Amen. We move to our third and final hymn, number 229, words by Vincent B. Silliman, One World This for All Its Sorrow, number 229. go our different ways, we take with us food for the journey, insights to ponder, values to be tested, virtues to be cultivated, examples to inspire, goodwill and prayers, and the encouragement of friends. May the week ahead be for each one of us the occasion for progress along life's journey. Amen.
0: hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians, or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.